I think it's interesting because of a lot of American, French, or, or UK companies, they come into the Nordic market and they, you know, they try to copy paste that kind of work culture into the Nordics. And it's very interesting because that never works. Welcome you again for another episode of International Corner, the podcast that helps you open and thrive in foreign markets. This is Steve here speaking, and I hope you packed up some warmer clothes today because we are going north. And more specifically, we are going to the Nordics with Nicolas Panalahti, country manager for Finland for OneFlow. Nicholas was born and raised in Sweden and has accumulated extensive knowledge on selling into the Nordics, with a special focus on Sweden and Finland. And today, he will share with us how to break into the Nordics. Among other things, he will talk about cultural differences you should absolutely be aware of if you are targeting this region, and he will reveal the number one channel you have to master if you want to successfully penetrate that market. So, let's get started. Well, Nicolas, thank you so much for being here today for this episode. Uh, really happy to have you here. How are you doing? Thank you for having me. I'm uh, I'm good. That's uh, a lot of things to do, but that's a uh... That's a good sign, I guess. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So perhaps before digging into uh, the podcast episode of today, which will be about how do you break into the Nordics, can you start maybe by introducing yourself, OneFlow, and your role there? Sure, absolutely. So my name is Nikolas Banalati. I'm the country manager Finland at OneFlow. Um, I'm, I'm born and raised in Stockholm, uh, but I speak Finnish, so I got the chance to start our Finnish office, which I did uh, approximately a year and a half ago. Uh, and OneFlow, you know, in a nutshell, we're a Swedish company, and basically what we do, we're an end-to-end -end company for you know all things contracts. So OneFlow, instead of focusing on the signature that this market historically has done, OneFlow encompasses the entire contract process. So you can create documents, you can negotiate them in real time, you can, of course, sign them, but also archive them in one system instead of having several ones. And this, of course, saves time and, and money for, for a lot of companies. And uh, furthermore, you can also integrate this to internal systems so you can have a lot of automation, for example, in your sales process. Okay, very clear. So what I find very interesting is that you're originally from Sweden, right? Yep. And you're working today on the Finnish market with a lot of knowledge on several and, and the other Nordic countries. Can you share with us, like, from your point of view, what are the major, I would say, cultural differences that you see between France or more generally Western Europe and the Nordics that company must know or really have to have in mind when they are approaching this region to do business? Absolutely. I, I think it's interesting because of a lot of American, French or, or UK companies, they come into the Nordic market and they, you know, they try to copy paste that kind of work culture into the Nordics. And it's very interesting because that never works, right? You have to be um, 
adaptable to to the local market. So for me, I think one of the big things is just the work-life balance. In France and UK, you work a lot. You work long hours. Uh, I mean, I have friends working in the UK and France that work eight to eight, which in, in Sweden and Finland would be completely insane. There's no company that requires you to work more than eight to five. That doesn't happen. And that also includes uh, an hour lunch most of the time. So I think that balance uh, between between you know life and, and work in general is, is very important to have in mind when entering a market. And you know that, that I mean that also encompasses things like being on on maternal leave, paternal leave. I know, for example, in in France and UK, people are often shocked when when you can have, for example, in Sweden, paternal leave. I think it's almost a year. Wow. Which you know for French and UK people is. It's it's a it's a dream to have that long paternally. Yeah, I think some of our companies have it, but it's very very rare. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think that's a very big and uh, big thing to have in mind. Um, another aspect I would say that's commonly quite shocking is like the the hierarchy, especially when you're going to Sweden. In France and UK, at least from my experience, that it's quite hierarchical. You have your boss, and then the boss under that and so on and so forth in sweden i would argue it's quite flat it's not necessarily exactly on the same level like ceo and salesperson but people are generally encouraged encouraged to to you know give their own ideas and have their own input and commonly it's it's welcomed to do that so i think that's quite important as well um, but then again there are differences between markets so you have this is very flat in in sweden but if we go to Finland, it's completely different. It's more like the, the you know, French and, and UK culture. Um, and then and we can get into that later. But I think another like big trend and common thing in the Nordics is our countries are quite digital and very open to digital solutions. So if you are a SaaS company from France or UK, People are quite open to, to, to hearing you out and, and seeing what kind of solutions there are on the market. Of course, assuming that you have some kind of value. And then I think maybe one other thing, which we'll get into a bit later, is that it's quite important with local presence. Swedish, Finnish, Norwegian people as well, to some extent, they're very comfortable, you know, speaking their own language and having their own um nationalities represented even though i mean they're I, I i i'm not saying that you know they're afraid of foreigners not at all the other way around but i think it's a big benefit if you have local presence with local reps in the local markets that makes a big difference um, even just having you know a swedish phone number when you're calling that makes all the difference if someone would call me with a french number i would never answer so I think I think Tom, so these are are some of the big differences um, that I would really pinpoint uh, if a French company wants to come to to the Nordics. All right. So if I got it well, I guess like the like the first one that you mentioned was the work life balance. Then you have the hierarchy, which tends to be a bit flatter than um, the Western European countries. But we'll come back to that afterwards. Mm. Also, Nordic people seems to be really keen to use digital solutions. So if you if you have like a SaaS company and, and we're able to provide value, then it's good, I guess. And uh, also like the local presence. But again, we'll come back to that later. That uh, 
for you like seem to be very important when doing business over there in the Nordics? Definitely. Uh, I think if you don't have these things in check, you won't succeed. I just actually have a question on the work-life balance because this one is interesting and probably is going to impact uh, some of the input that you are going to provide us with a bit later. But uh, what happens, you know, as a, as a salesperson, if you want to contact people, because sometimes schedules can be very busy during the days. And for instance, if you, uh, if you work right on the US market, people are going to advise you at times or maybe, uh, even on the French market, you can call before nine or you can call after six because sometimes you can have uh, uh, people more available because they're done with, with their day. So they might be more open to take a call and discuss with you. Is that something completely forbidden, you know, and, and out of the equation over there? Yeah, good question. Uh, absolutely. Completely forbidden. If you were to call me after five, six, I would be really angry as a prospect or, you know, before eight. I, I would see that as a big red flag. Okay. Um, and, you know, of, of course, if you're used to working eight to eight and now you're supposed to work eight to five with one hour slot for lunch where you can't call, you know, you would have a bit less calling time. But I think it's, it's, it's important as well to, to respect people's time because I, from my experience, at least calling to the UK and France to some extent, you get very defensive. Here, people are quite open to, to hearing you out, as I mentioned but that assumes that you're calling them during the right time and not when they're eating dinner with their family. <laughs> Noticed. Okay. Uh, and we will come back to that uh, later. But these are very interesting Like to have some highlights about what entrepreneurs need to be ready to face when they go into these markets in terms of differences. You just mentioned earlier that just in terms of hierarchy structure, it's different from Sweden to Finland, do you have um, special highlights that you would like to bring up when it comes to those differences that you can observe between the different Nordic markets? Because usually I think people see it as one region, but as you mentioned, there are actually individual countries, so there must have some differences we, we need to be aware of. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think, I mean, hierarchy is quite a big thing. Um, so let's compare Sweden to Finland, because as you said, a lot of people think It's the same country. It's, you know, from a societal perspective, yeah, quite similar. But in the business world, night and day, it's completely different. So let's just imagine a, a sales process. For example, if I'm selling to Sweden, I would argue that, first of all, I would have to uh, think about the decision makers. But as Sweden is such a flat culture, I would have to involve a lot of people. I would argue that in most decisions, if it's not a very small company, I would need to have at least three to five decision makers in on the decision because everyone needs to have their say. And this then, of course, logically leads to me having a bit longer sales process. I have to involve everyone, uh, have contact with more people and, and so on and so forth. And then let's compare that to Finland, where I would argue it's way more hierarchical it's probably a bit more similar to to france and the uk where there's one boss and that boss is in charge this means that whatever i do finding that decision maker in a finnish company is imperative because that is the person that will decide whether the other people like it or not so i think that's a very very important factor uh, in between for example a, a sales cycle 
between these countries? I think the um, the process, you know, with Fini uh, with Finnish people, um, it's a bit more similar to the one that we have here in France, where like you have like one big decision makers. Obviously, you have people involved, and you need to involve them at some point. But as long as you have like the main decision makers, unless you're in a really, really, really big companies where you have to really Uh, play with the different powers in place. Usually, uh, it goes faster if you if you're talking to the right person. Yeah, and I would actually add another thing to that, which for me was like night and day because before selling to to or starting the OneFlow Finland office, I had I hadn't really sold anything to to Finland. And in Sweden, when I'm in a meeting, you know, it's very open discussion. You know, you can go back and forth and talk talk to them about things, ask questions. In Finland, completely different. The Finnish buyer wants to make their own decision. So I provide them with all of the material, all of the information, the benefits, so on and so forth. But they sit most of the time completely quiet in the meeting, wow. listening in. And it, it, for me, coming from Sweden, you know, I'm used to talking a lot back and forth and joking around. No way. Finland, we're going down to business straight away. No bullshit. Just get to the point. Tell me why I'm here. So what are the signs for you as a SaaS person, right? Like uh, if one of your team members goes in a meeting and at the end, like how will he know or how will he tell you how the meeting went, right? Like if you had like no feedback in the end, like mm -hmm. do you have other signs that, that helps you tell, okay, this is actually a good lead that might lead to closing? Yeah, uh, I would say <laughs> because it, it's a bit backwards, but I would say in, in Sweden, it's harder for me to know if it went well. Okay. Because they're very nice, you know, talking with me back and forth. If I ask them, okay, what do you guys think? Should we go on with this? Is this interesting? Does this fit your needs? Most of the time, I wouldn't get a clear answer. Even though they say, yes, it's interesting, that doesn't necessarily mean it's interesting at all. Uh -huh. They're just very, you know, afraid of the conflict. And then going back to Finland, a Finnish person would tell me instantly, okay, this is really good, or no, this is really bad. And I don't know, of course, this depends on who you are as an, as an organization or a salesperson, but I prefer the Finnish way. I don't want to waste time on a company that will never buy anything from me. It doesn't make sense for me or for them. So it's, it's the, the ways of communicating, uh, even this, these kind of buyer signals are very different. So, okay, so then that's actually interesting because you're saying that um, in Finland, people are actually telling you right away uh, if they find it relevant or not. But when it comes to making the final decision, then that's when like you can't really have a say, right? Like once you actually like delivered your value proposition and the decision maker has everything in mind, um, is it easy for you uh, to, to, you know, like try to... Um, I don't know, like have like an, another meeting with like more stakeholders, like to really try to influence the decision? Yeah. Uh, I would say, yet again, no. In Sweden, for example, let, let's take a, an aspect that every salesperson knows, which is negotiating, right? Mm -hmm. Especially in SaaS companies, you always negotiate something, uh, terms or the length of the contract, price, whatever. In Sweden, people are quite open with it. They're used to negotiating. We can go back and forth. Okay, they want a bit of a discount or something similar. In Finland, if I send a quote or a proposal, from my experience at least, they take it as, okay, this is the final proposal. This is the final quote they give me. Okay. If it's too expensive, it's too expensive, which it's a bit frustrating for me, especially being used to 
the Swedish style because a lot of times, for me at least, I've had the situation where it's like, yeah, you had a really good solution, but we went with another one because you were 5% more expensive. Okay, but why didn't you tell me then? If you would have told me, I could give you 5% discount. So even though I... I would post that question. How is the price? Uh, how, how, how are we compared to the other vendor? I wouldn't get that. So they get, they get the information and they make their own decision. Okay. Wait a minute, because that's actually interesting. I just wanted to pause here to, to really try to dig into this uh, negotiating process over there. Does that mean that actually it really happens? You know, like once you give your first shot, that's it. Like you cannot go back to it and, and say, oh, we can give you like another discount, you know, if you really like what we're doing, but we are a little bit more expensive. You can't go back to it. Yet again, that's the big difference. In Sweden, we can negotiate 10 times. No problem. Uh -huh. In Finland, for, at least from my experience with a bit of larger companies, they just expect the first quote to be the, the last one. Wow, okay. So the way I had to start doing it was, which, you know, in, in sales technique is really bad, which is like, okay, here's the quote. Tell me if the price is bad. Maybe we can negotiate, which, you know, in, in negotiation tactic, that's really bad. Yeah. But I have to say that because otherwise I might lose it. Okay. So basically that's, that's what I was about to ask you. Like, how do you do it? You know, how do you make sure that you don't get out because of the price? Exactly. Uh, I think everything goes back to, to, um, to the needs analysis. Because if I know, of course, I know my competition very well. And if I have done a proper needs analysis, and I know that in our space, for example, I know that, okay, they have way more needs than just a signature, which is what my competition is doing. Okay, then I know that they will be willing to pay more. But if I don't know that, then it becomes an issue. Because then I'm just in the blue. I have to hope that the buyer is smart and competent enough to realize that, okay, maybe we can negotiate. If they don't, you know, I'm in trouble. I had a, I had a case here two weeks ago where um, I sent a quote and she didn't answer me the entire week. Week after I called her, finally she answered. She told me, yeah, we were a bit sad that your quote was more expensive. So we, we really wanted your solution. We really, really wanted it, but we can't go with it because it's too expensive. And then I said, okay, so if I can match the price, can you go with us? Yes, we can. I matched the price. She came back to me. Sorry, it went too far. They already made a decision, which is like wow. <laughs> insane for me. Please tell me. <laughs> so th th this, this is like the cultural thing, which is like impossible if you don't know the way it works. What would be your, your advice to avoid this situation to try like understand like what's the best price beforehand in your need analysis to make sure that your quote is your final quote? Yeah, I would be very transparent with it. At least that's what I've noticed for myself is, is what works for me. Of course, again, depends on what you're selling. But I would say that be transparent with this is the price that I'm offering. This is a list price. We can negotiate it. Another thing which I've noticed is quite important is, is if you can show a proper ROI, it's easier to sell, especially in Finland. If I can give you a realistic estimate of an ROI, how much time or money you will send, that gets me way further as well. So can you just detail for those who are listening and don't, uh, don't know what ROI means, please? Yes, absolutely. So return on investment. So in my case, I know that if you use OneFlow, you will save... 50% of your admin time 
I know that your hit rate will increase approximately five to 10 times and so on and so forth. So if, if I can make it very clear for the um, prospect that this will actually bring them a big ROI, it's quite easy to, to sell. If I don't know it, it becomes way harder. <laughs> okay, so this is this is actually an important one on on negotiation, based on the differences that you no- notice. This is impacting obviously the way that you manage your salespeople to say, okay, this is how you should go after this this kind of uh, situation. And if you're in another country, same like basically like you you work differently, right? Yeah, and I would say I, I mean a big theme here. What I would argue at least what works best for OneFlow and and for other SaaS companies is is to have try to have more of a consultative approach. You know, this car salesman approach, which is like sell, 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 sell. Just push push down the the deal down the their throat. That doesn't work. Not at all. So I, I think try to really have that type of problem solving uh, consultative approach when you sell. You are actually there to help them. You just don't you don't want to sell. You want to solve a problem. Exactly. If you have that mindset, you get way further. Mm. Exactly. I think this is the mindset that globally or virtually everyone is trying to get into. Everyone is trying to see that this uh, really hard selling approach isn't working anymore. So now it's uh, understanding, listening a lot, trying to figure out like what are the pains and then trying to see uh, if you can solve it with your solution. Yep. A little bit like a, like the doctor approach, as some, some people say it. Mm, absolutely. <laughs> so uh, based on your knowledge, you know, like what you just shared uh, with us, how would you advise a French or a Western European company to penetrate this, this market? Like, would you, is there a country, again, uh, it really depends on, you know, like what, uh, what solutions you're, you're, you're selling, etc. But do you have like a country in mind or, or a way, you know, to uh, break into this Nordic market that would be advisable for um, these companies? Absolutely. I would say if you're trying to get in the Nordics, go to Sweden first. That would be probably the easiest market to penetrate as a a European company, French or UK or even US. Um, And even before, you know, even before even hiring like reps, just try do an ABM, so account-based marketing campaign, for example. See if there is interest. And even before that, I mean, of course, these are quite basic things, but really do a very deep market research in your segment. What kind of vendors are there? Um, what type of, of companies are these? Uh, do they have the same product and, and functionality that we do, integrations, whatever it may be? But when you decide that you want to go into Sweden, for example, the most important thing for me Hire local reps, without a doubt. Have people that speak Swedish, for example, in, in this case. And I mean, you, they can still be sitting in Paris, for example. That's no problem at all. Other way around, I think, you know, Swedish person, you tell them, hi, you want to move to, to, to Paris and sell sauce? Yes, absolutely, please. <laughs> I, want to, I want to do that. Um, so I, th- I think that's really important. Have that local presence. That really sells. And also, you know, have content in the language. If you're serious about entering, for example, Sweden, have blog posts translated to to Swedish. Have a Swedish website. Uh, If you start getting traction, okay, translate your product to Swedish. It makes the difference. 
And that's something that you mentioned earlier, the impact of language. If we can come back a little bit to that, what is the perception of Swedish or uh, Finnish people on, I would say, vendors approaching them talking in, in English, right? Because giving you an example, in Germany, for instance, I think they can easily buy from English-speaking people. Same uh, for us in France. I think that we have so much influence from the American market on the startup community that uh, we are not so, I would say, um, surprised by uh, by being targeted by people who don't speak French. Obviously, maybe it depends on the on the target audience, uh, but generally speaking, startups scale up, and I would say um, software companies they would be willing to buy from uh, English people, I mean, English-speaking people at least. Like, Is it something a bit similar over there or they are really re reluctant when it comes to uh, people who don't speak Swedish? Yeah, good question. I, I would say they're definitely not reluctant in any way to, to buy from English speakers. I mean, especially Sweden, people speak very good English, right? It's almost like a, 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 native, a native tongue for most people. But I think having that local presence and local language gives you a big benefit because it uh, if you're comparing two french companies one speaks english one speaks swedish you get a completely different connection with with this person not only language but also cultural aspects um, that makes a big difference but let's take I, i i use finland as an example here again but i'm sorry to any potential finnish speakers but i would argue that the level of english in finland It's quite bad. Okay. Like, I have had meetings with colleagues that don't speak Finnish, that have to have a meeting with some Finnish prospect for some reason. And I have had people Google Translate in real time in meetings from Finnish to English. So, you know, it, it can be even on that level. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so, so even even more, you know, pushing that local language is quite important, especially in Finland. Okay. As you said, if Sweden is maybe a market that's a little bit easier than uh, Finland to, to go in. Could a company actually use English-speaking people if they have some, right, like within their office just, just to try out? Would that actually be uh, something that would give them, you know, like a, a good view of the potential or they should really go and, and hire like Swedish-speaking people otherwise they will never really, you know, like size the real potential over there? Mm. Good question. I, I think you can get an indication at least from english speaking reps um, because yet again they're not reluctant to speak english not at all uh, people speak good english um, but but i think you would never see the full potential before you have a local rep that speaks the local language okay i really push on this localization thing but i argue it's very important um, but of course i mean if you notice that you're getting really good traction with english speaking people okay, then you will probably have extremely good traction with Swedish people. Um, but that then becomes difficult if you don't have any traction at all with English people. Does that mean it's a bad market for the company? Or does that then just mean that you're not getting through? Yeah, no, you're, you're right. It, it makes like a, another question mark, I guess, on the, on, the, on, on the guessing on the product market fit process at the very beginning. Yeah. All right. And there's like something also that's quite important. So obviously like language, you mentioned it, but uh, when it comes to prospecting, especially uh, at the beginning and, and even, you know, afterwards when trying to expand the presence, like for you uh, on the Nordics, and perhaps you can 
uh, I don't know if you found some differences between the Finnish and the Swedish market, but what is the best approach when it comes to prospecting? What are the best channels to use to get through to prospect? Yeah, I, I, I'm a traditionalist in this sense. For me, there is no other way than cold calling. Of course, you can send emails and LinkedIn or whatever people do. Um, but for me, it's, it's cold calling all the way. And the big differences in these markets are, let's take UK, for an example. We, we have a partner that, uh, a Swedish company that does business in the UK. They sell um, like a HR system, basically. And when they sell in the UK, they have to have 60 touch points to book one meeting. And this includes calling, sending emails, LinkedIn, and so on. For me and for us, yet again, depends on the rep. I would argue that if I make five calls and two or three people answer and I don't book a meeting, something went really badly. And the base for this, I think at least, is the accessibility to people. So from what I've heard, please confirm if, if true or not, but in France and UK, even finding a mobile number to a person is impossible if it's like a higher up. Well, I can confirm that using the, I would say, the solutions that are currently available to find phone numbers, you probably have a success rate of what, depending of, uh, on the day, uh, 7 to 11% of success rate to find the numbers. Okay. And that is insane. Yeah. I would argue that, of course, now I'm guessing completely, but in, in Sweden, at least, and in Finland, I would find... 95% of all numbers, at least, it would be on the website. It's in these kind of public, uh, you know, search directories when you can just search basically for the name, you get their number. So we're talking about direct lines or phone numbers. I mean, or mo mobile phone numbers, right? Like you're not, talk you're not talking about the uh, landlines, correct? No. Okay. Direct mobile phone number, which yet again, I mean, I had, let's take one of the, um, I used to be in, I was the first SDR at OneFlow way back when. And one example is like the, one of the biggest telecom companies in Sweden, or the biggest actually in the Nordics, Telia. Uh, I was able to find the highest uh, HR uh, manager, so chief HR officer. Her number was completely open on the website. And this is a company that has like, I don't know, 25,000 employees or something. Completely open for anyone to call. And she happily answered, hi, how are you? <laughs> it's like impossible to do this in the uk or, or france it is it is impossible and that's what i mentioned when we first talked last week but to me i just find it very intriguing because if the number is available like how come you manage to get it through because virtually any rep from any company can can get to call her yeah absolutely and and that's the interesting thing as well like they quite often they still answer Of course, I mean, if it's a big, big company in a very big higher up, of course, they will not answer most of your calls. But I would still say if I make 10 calls, at least half of them answer. And of those five, two or three are interested. Wow. Okay. So that's, so that's pretty good. So you have like a, a 50% connect rate. And then after like, a, a, like, like what, like two thirds of them actually converts in a, in a meeting or like what's your conversion rate? Yeah, I, I'd say I'd say any anywhere between thirty and and fifty percent, but yet again, depends on your prospecting. I I would say going back to finding your 
ICP in the local market, this is very important because that's what I use a lot of the time. I know that if I find the right person in a company that is in our ICP, they will be interested. I just know it. And here, yet again, there are local differences. So for example, in Sweden, um, what I was able to find was that uh, real estate is really good for us. They send a lot of rental agreements. There's a lot of agreements that need to be amended back and forth. Then I went to Finland, tried the same thing. No interest whatsoever. They weren't interested at all because they had some other big um, system in, in the Finnish real estate companies where they sent out all of their agreements. So there are big differences as well when it comes to prospecting. So I just I just try to find the companies that are in my ICP. To, to recap, we use sales tools for that. Um, you know, people are, are no a lot of them could be LinkedIn sales nav, some local vendors, um, having these kind of sales loft cognizant type of of tools. Most of the time I find the phone numbers and the email addresses directly on the website. I don't even have to search further. I put them into my CRM and then I call. So I, I think that's quite quite simple. And then being quite, and this is also, you know, going, going back to the aspect of respecting people's time. I know it's quite controversial in, in some, some sales forums, but I always open with asking, did I catch you at a bad time? Okay. Instead of pitching, you know, screaming in, <laughs> yeah, definitely. In terms of approach, I think um, every company has different ones, even though like people are trying to make it sound more like a conversation. It, it really differs from one company to another one. And what's interesting is that, uh, and that's what you mentioned last week, is that basically like all you're doing or what's successfully working for you in terms of prospecting is hard calling, right? Like you're not even sending them emails or whatsoever. It's really like a list of companies that fit your ICP. So ideal customer profile and you call them, but they have never heard of you from any other touch points, right? Yeah. We're talking complete cold calling. They have never heard of me before. I've never sent an email, nothing. Um, and yet again, if we compare cold calling versus emailing, for example, if I send a generic email, just put their company name there, no one will look at it. No one. I just throw those in the trash immediately. But let's assume that I do a bit more. You know, I personalize the email. I add their industry or whatever it may be. That would take me maybe five to 10 minutes. In that window, I would be able to make at least three, four, maybe even five cold calls. And compare the hit rates between that. It's a, it's a no-brainer for me to call it that. I never send emails. Can you perhaps walk us through uh, what's the approach? Uh, do you have some sort of script? Is it a completely open conversation? Like how do you manage your team to be efficient when they're cold calling? Yes, good question. So when I actually get to the person, first, of course, asking if they have the time, I try to keep it very simple. Yet again, going back to the consultative approach. Have you heard about us? Most of the time, they haven't. In one sentence, I tell them what they do. One thing that works really well for me is social proofing, which means that I basically tell them, okay, this company in your industry, they're using us. I thought you might be interested too. That was a killer line for me when I was an SDR. Uh, so that works really well. And then I try to do, imagine like a, a light needs analysis. So for example, okay, hi, I'm calling from, from OneFlow. 
I really quickly explain what we do. I saw that you are doing this and this and this. I would assume that you're sending quite a lot of proposals and contracts. Is that right? And then you get the conversation started. Okay, cool. So how do you do it? How do you create them? Do you have a CRM? I ask maybe maximum five questions. I try to keep it short. If they seem interested and if there is an actual need there, I just tell them, you know what? This is somewhat hard to visualize. I would love to have a meeting instead so I can show you what the actual value is there. Does that work for you? You know, most of the time, if there is a need there, you get the meeting. There's a lot of value in just asking those questions because when I get to the meeting, you know, I have a lot of good info. I know what to push on before the meeting even starts. Of course, I mean, if you can pre-qualify, that's that's even better for sure. Uh, That's really like really interesting and we covered a lot of interesting topics i think that if people and listeners are really interested in discovering more perhaps you know at some point we can have a follow-up episode and digging into like specific topics as we're approaching at the end of this episode i wanted to uh, close it with the oops my bad time whoops my bad so for those who don't know like the oops my bad time is a time at the end of each episode where the um, invitee actually share one big setback or one mistake that has been done during this country developing, country opening efforts. So can you perhaps, Nicolas, share with us if you have had like any setbacks so far um, in opening the Finnish market? Absolutely. Um, I was thinking about this. Uh, of course, there are always setbacks, right? It, it's quite hard to open a, a new market, regardless of where you go and, and how you do it and who you are. But what I decided on to, to mention here is hire the right people. So what I did in the beginning was that I hired, well, I I hired a team and some of the people in the early stage of that new market team, they weren't really 100% a cultural fit to what we do here at OneFlow. So for me, cultural fit is by far the most important. I need to have people that are curious, they wanna learn and they're you know ready for a challenge. If I have a person or people that I know that, okay, this might not be a 100% cultural fit, I should never hire them, which is what I did. In the beginning, I had some people that were not a cultural fit. They didn't fit in the, you know, just basic social environment. They weren't, you know, hungry hunters. They didn't really have that entrepreneur mindset that is needed for for opening a new market. Uh, And that backfired. That led to me having that first team where half of them were cut. Wow, okay, half of them. Yeah, after like three, four months. And of course, that's a setback. That takes a lot of time to to find those new people. So what I would say, find like the best people you can in the beginning. Because not having a a, coherent team that are willing to work together, it's never going to work. And that's not necessarily, you know, only for opening new new markets, but new companies as well. Those first key hires are so important. So did you find some tricks or a good recipe, I would say, to pay attention to this cultural feel aspect? Uh, it's hard, you know, because cultural fit, you can, they, they can tell you that they're hungry. They can tell you that they really want to do this kind of opening up and they're open for a challenge, but you never really know, right? You never know before you start. Um, so unfortunately, you have to go on gut feeling. 
and for me that was something I developed. But I think you know, try to in in the when you hire that person, try to have a le- really clear um, vision of what is your culture at your company. What is the thing you're trying to accomplish here? And for me, example, having that curiosity, being that kind of entrepreneur mindset. And when you start interviewing, look for that. Can I check off that thing in that list? If I can't, sorry, it's not going to work. Yep, exactly. I think like now, you know, you have a lot of matrices where you have like the different key components you want that person to have. Absolutely. And then you can grade them, right, in terms of importance as well. And then at the end of the day, like if there's several people involved in your interviewing process, each person can give like their different opinions and, and you can try to get, you know, like the, the most informed decision. But as you said, after like people can can say what they want as well. So after, uh, at the end of the day, like there's a little bit of gut feeling also uh, in the end that's unavoidable because you cannot be 100% sure. Yeah. Even with like the, the, the most perfect or perfect looking, I would say, process. Yeah, of course. And I mean, we have that as well in our hiring process. You know, you have this classic things that that do they have the right experience and so on what we started implementing is our core values so for example we have something called we call it in it together Uh we have show love we have beat yesterday that's in our hiring process do i see that this person represents in it together does this person represent beat yesterday if you don't unfortunately you're not going to work here okay cool that's uh but that's very important and hiring is one of the toughest i would say uh, decisions that you have to make and and also like one of the toughest process because it's not like a, a perfect science so getting in wrong can happen definitely thanks for being here and uh, i will see you next time then thank you for having me bye thanks bye bye thank you so much for listening until the end if you liked that episode don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform and feel free to connect with me on linkedin I would love to hear any feedback you might have on this episode. See you soon!